You might not know this about me, but many moons ago, I worked overseas as a holiday rep. And it was during those alcohol-fueled days that I thought that my boss hated me. And in this episode, I'm going to be sharing why and what I did about it. Because you can use this strategy to get your clients to value your services more, to stick with you for longer, and even to pay you a higher fee. You're listening to JFDI with the two Lauras, and we're here to give freelance marketers all the ideas, tips, and inside secrets that have helped us to build highly successful businesses over the years. In this episode, we're talking about why Laura Moore's boss hated her. It wasn't because she drank too much, although I'm sure she probably did. And we'll also be giving you a step-by-step guide to implement an incredible client retention strategy. Okay, Laura, what is the goss? Why did your boss actually hate you? Well, it may well have been to do with the alcohol, but I don't actually think it was that. So I was working as a holiday rep in Magaluf, the classiest (laughs) resort in Spain. Was it like 18 to 30s? It was 18 to 30s, but for Irish guests. So it's like 18 to 30s on steroids. So yeah, (laughs) there was a lot of alcohol involved. And at the time, I'd worked in this resort for many, many years, but this was a new boss of the resort that I hadn't worked with before. And on this particular team, I was like the oldest person in terms of experience, not age. And because of that, I was the only person on the team who would consistently hit my sales targets because, you know, it wasn't just our target to get people drunk. We actually did have sales targets to hit. And I was the only person who would hit those sales targets week after week after week without fail. But yet whenever there was praise to hand out from this new boss, it would never ever come to me. It would always go to somebody else and it would drive me absolutely up the wall like bonkers because like financially, I was the best person on the team. But because I wasn't getting the praise or the recognition, I felt like I was I was replaceable in the team. And that was really scary because I loved my mm. job. I loved being paid to basically get people drunk in a holiday resort. <laughs> and the thought of like leaving that and going back to get a proper grown-up job was the most terrifying thing ever. And so I kind of thought, well, what on earth am I going to do to make this woman like me? Because she clearly doesn't you know, what do I need to do to secure my job? What have you? And so I started looking at what were these other people doing when they weren't hitting their targets, but she still loved what they were doing. And I realized that they were doing something that I wasn't doing to show their value to the team, to my boss and to the business. And what I realized what they were doing, it changed everything. And it actually turned out that my boss didn't hate me. She didn't even dislike me. She didn't really care how much I drank even. She just valued them more because they were spending time bigging themselves up, sharing the wins, which weren't financial wins, by the way. And they were making sure that she saw them as a crucial part of the team, regardless of them not hitting their financial targets. Whereas I was, you know, just chilling back on my laurels, sending her the money with the reports going, here you are, love, here's what I've done for you. And I was relying on the the numbers to tell the Mm. story for me, which is what I had always done. But this was a very different type of boss. 
And because I was doing that, she didn't see the true value that I was bringing to the team. She just saw the numbers. She just saw the financial side of what I was doing. So she didn't hear the story about the horrendous guests, the disasters that we'd adverted, the complaints that I'd dealt with, the opportunities that I'd seen and kind of sold into. She wasn't seeing any of that. And as soon as I realized that, I changed how I reported my figures to her each week. And when I did that, her attitude changed dramatically. She started to give me more credit. I got more days off, which when you are working overseas in a holiday resort, they are like gold dust. And she would then like recommend me to, to all sorts of different things. She ended up recommending me for an amazing job the next season. But she probably wouldn't have done that if I'd have just carried on as I was, just sending her reports. And because of that, I have kind of remembered that and retained that in every single job ever since then, both employed jobs and with my freelance clients. And like in a minute, we're going to share how I've done that. But it's not just me that this kind of affects, is it? I'm sure you've had this sort of situation. Yeah, well, all the time. I think probably the large majority of my clients, I have to constantly remind them what part I play in their sales process because they all uh, I've got an old client and actually to a degree a, a, a current client where they they get leads they convert them and they're brilliant at what they do they're you know they're amazing in their industry they convert these leads they get the sales they're a really successful business or businesses and I have to kind of get <clears throat> uh could you just remember where you got those leads from? <laughs> like they forget the first part. Yeah. You know, they just see it land in their inbox or, or what have you, but they forget the work that's happening at, at before that to get the, that lead in that inbox. So uh, I have to constantly remind people that the work I am doing is helping them get their you know, commissions at the end of the day or, you know, previously getting them to, you know, have their pat on the back. So I have to kind of say, well, what about me? Yeah. And I think I'm sure, you know, from a social media marketer perspective, I, I am not alone in that. And I'm sure you've had clients like that where y you have to remind people why you're there. You're not there just putting pretty pictures on Instagram. You're actually there generating them sales or leads yeah and like dealing with complaints and answering questions and it's all those little things as well that kind of build that relationship with people to either spend money with you, with you for the first time or continue to spend money isn't it yeah and I think it's an interesting point what you were saying about facts and figures like the numbers and we see this a lot I guess possibly more like ads managers like media buyers where they're saying I got this ROAS or I got this amount of sales which is great. And I'm not knocking people who, who say that because, you know, I've said that and giving kind of numerical wins. But actually, sometimes it's more what does that all those sales mean or what did they have to do to get those sales? Like, did they have to overcome anything? Because it isn't just about the end result. It's how that ads manager or marketer has to navigate through, I don't know, bloody ad accounts being taken down or social media blackouts, you know, all these things that happen to us as marketers that we have to suddenly navigate and find solutions for. Sometimes they're just as good 
a win. And for other businesses, when they're looking to hire somebody, yes, of course, they'll be attracted to the financial gains, albeit it's not relevant to them because it's not their business. But what they do look for is people who know how to deal with things when they go wrong, for example, because they know they don't know how to do that. They don't know the back end of business manager, for example. So when it all goes tits up, they panic. Whereas those non-numerical wins should totally be shared. 100%. Like going back to when I was working overseas, in that team, no one else could report the financial wins because they weren't getting them. Mm. But yet they were still getting the praise and the, the recognition in the team because of the other things they were doing, like problem solving, dealing with, like we would have disasters when we were over there. Some of the clients would be a complete nightmare. The stories I could tell you. Uh, but they would deal with all of those sorts of things and that would be what they would report back. So translating that into sort of marketing terms, we don't always get brilliant stats to show to clients. But if we can say, look, the, you know, the stats aren't great this week, but we have dealt with X, Y, Z amount of yeah. inquiries. We've had these kind of questions come in. You might want to create some blogs or podcasts about this sort of stuff because this is what people are asking us. That is all massively valuable to the business. Yeah. Yeah. I think we lose that because people talk about the finances. Mm. Or the numbers. Mm. I've reached this amount of people. I've, you know, had this many people on my website. The numbers, which, you know, to me, as someone who loves data, like I love all of that. Mm. But actually, when like when we do this, when we have like launches in particular, and we do a debrief and we write everything down that's happened during that time. And yes, we write down, you know, how many click threes we got from a, our email marketing campaign, what our results for were from our ads you know that's all valid stuff but we also write down how you know the queen died in the middle of our launch or there was a social media blackout you know as yeah. there always is something it's the context when, isn't it yeah yeah and I think you know sometimes if you just look at the numbers alone they can be great but they can mean so much more when you give that context as well yeah definitely like this week I had a post go I would say viral for me on LinkedIn at the moment there's like 150,000 impressions on this post which if I was reporting that to a client would look amazing but from a business perspective it means absolutely nothing because it wasn't <laughs> even a post about business yeah. but if I could translate that into some way then maybe it would be valuable so yeah. it's all, it's just like looking at the overall picture isn't it and not just relying on either reporting stats that are brilliant in terms of numbers or stats that are not so brilliant and trying to justify why they're not brilliant and blaming it on the algorithm or whatever. It's highlighting the other sort of wins and stuff, isn't it? Yeah. So I think in summary, we need to, we need to be our biggest cheerleaders, don't we? Because yeah. no one else is going to do it. No. I have to constantly be my cheerleader around my clients and I'm sure everybody else needs to do that too. Yeah. So it's kind of like, a retention strategy, isn't it? You're kind of cheerleading yourself, making yourself and what you're doing seem valuable to the clients so that they then don't want to look at anywhere else because they know what you're bringing into the business is valuable. They don't feel like they can get better because you're explaining everything that you do. And that is a crucial part that's missed, I think, with a lot of um, how reporting is done. So, you can do this no matter what service you offer, whether you are a social media manager, whether you're an ads manager, a VA, an email marketer, like doesn't matter what service you offer, you need to think about how you're reporting, don't you? Should we go through some steps to make this easy? Yeah, 100%. 
Okay, so step number one, which I'd like to think most marketers are doing, or I certainly hope so, is that they create a monthly report or a report over a, for a period of time that it has been agreed with your client. And if you don't do that, then I'd really encourage you to do that. But the key part here is that where possible, you need to try to deliver that face to face. Now, that could be obviously in person, you can meet them like I meet my clients in person, or it could be over Zoom, but where you can actually see their face. Yeah, like nice. I don't work with any local clients. You've probably heard me ranting about this in the past, but I don't work with lo- any local clients. So mine would always have been on Zoom. It never would have been in the same room as them. But I think it's really important to understand why this is so important. Because if you think about it, how many emails do you get in your inbox in a day? A lot. And people don't read reports. They don't have time. And even if they do open your email amongst all of the other ones and they do look at the report, the likelihood is they're just going to skim it. They're going to look at that top line info. They're not going to understand the true value of what you're doing. And you can't show that true value in a written report. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still create one because you still Mm. do, do still need to create one. And then hopefully they will be looking at that report whilst you're going through it with them and discussing it. And they will then have that that they can share with their team or share with other stakeholders in the business or what have you and look back on, you know, in the future when you are reporting again. So it's really important that you do create that. The step two is to make sure that within that report, you don't just show facts and figures and try and bamboozle them with data. You need to highlight like three to five sort of wins that you've helped the business to achieve. And you're going to highlight these whilst you're going through that report with your client. Now, the really important thing here is that these wins don't have to be financial. They don't have to be numerical. I've had, you know, 10,000 new followers. It doesn't have to be that sort of win. And especially when it's finance, it's quite hard to prove that for organic. So they don't have to be those sorts of things, but they do have to tie back to the key business objectives, which is why it's really crucial that you always know what the business objectives are. So it might be that your client has said that this week we need to increase traffic. And so if your stats are not showing that you've really like achieved the increase of traffic, but you have maybe dealt with 10 complaints that week during, you know, in your inbox, or you've had loads of people asking you questions, or you've built some really good connections with some really good people, that is crucial. And that needs to be reported back. And it's much easier to to explain that face to face than it is in a written report because you can kind of highlight that it's been done, but also the impact that it can have on the business. And you can refer it back to other conversations that you've had and have more in-depth conversation about how that's going to happen moving forwards and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. So I use the um, Agora Pulse reports. So they're automated. I get them sent. I then send, well, like I receive them. I then send them on to my clients in advance of me going to my meeting to give them a couple of days to obviously look at them. Not that they ever do, I don't think. But one of the businesses that I work for, I don't meet with the other director. So he gets to receive it. And obviously, occasionally I'll chat with him on the phone. But so I make sure the email that I attach the report to has the summary, basically, but the context that we talk about. Because the Agora Pulse report isn't going to say the queen died 
we had to turn off all your ad campaigns or we paused your your social media. So I put that context in that email, but also highlight the main things that I've had to negotiate or deal with that month. And it could be complaints. It could be that we were having to discover new locations because of their business and the relationships that we have built in doing that. None of these things would be evidenced on a report that I will generate from Agora Pulse or anywhere else, any of these reports. And not just those things, just even the overarching business objective wouldn't be on those reports. No, and sometimes no. the client might not remember what they've told you the previous month is their objective. And they kind of yeah. need that reminding, don't they? But the, And that's it, exactly because they could look at that report and say, right, your engagement's down. Why, why is the engagement down, Laura? But if I've already put in the email, engagement is down because our main driver was trying to get people on the website and we've looked at Google Analytics and your traffic has gone through the roof from Instagram or whatever it is, then I'm, I'm counteracting any assumptions people are making just based purely on data. And I think that's so important, especially when you have clients who yes, might understand top level social media, but don't really understand how it works and how you're going to be focused on your particular goal that month, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's definitely important to be able to put things into context. Yeah, for sure. So step three then, so you've created the report, you've put the wins in the report and you, you're obviously going to you know give this to the client face to face, go through it with them. Step three is to sell forwards. So this is like that retention part. And then in this step, you're going to highlight three or however many um, business opportunities that you can help the business to achieve for the following month. These need to be things, obviously, that you can actually achieve. So, for example, (laughs) if you know that the client is really keen to sell more of a particular product, then it might be that one of the selling forward sort of opportunities is that you might say that, right, we're going to propose a launch campaign. The following month, we are going to work on a launch campaign for this specific product. It might be that during your meeting, your client says, we are getting so many calls. They're all asking us the same question or we're having the same complaint about the same thing. And it's taking up time for our call center or our people, you know, people who are in the office. So when you've kind of picked up on that, It could be that you're selling forward, right, well, let's see if we can do some sort of campaign where we can reduce those inbound calls and try and deal with a lot of that on social, answering questions in DMs, maybe creating content that answers the questions that they keep getting phone calls about. So it's Mm. all of those sorts of things that you can come up with a plan that you can try and help the business moving forward so that they're not coming to the end of that meeting and thinking, oh, no, I you know, this hasn't done what I need to do and I don't know what's going to happen next. You're telling them what's going to happen next. You're selling forward for them. Yeah, so a client of mine who, the one with I meet with face-to-face, they have a new product coming out at the end of the year, so mid-December, and it's a big thing. Like, these guys don't bring out new products very often. So it's exciting uh, for them, but I'm having to say, right, well... It's all very well and good. Your product will be available from mid-December. But what are we going to do now? And we're early October to get us ready for that, to make the most of that opportunity. So I have met with them last week and it's about sitting down and saying, 
what are we doing now? What do we need in place? What is the business missing? How can we kind of fill those gaps? What do we need to be talking about now? Who are we trying to sell this product to? So all those conversations are starting now. And I know for a fact, when I sit down and and ask him all these questions, if anything, he's obviously having to think of the answers, but I think he finds it reassuring to know that someone is looking after this element of the business and he doesn't have to yes he has to answer the questions but he doesn't have to worry about it he finds it reassuring and I think it reminds him that I am good at what I do because he hadn't even considered half of the questions that I was asking him and I think it's good for me because I think if if there was ever any doubt that he might go I'm going to get rid of that Laura when I meet with him and have those kind of conversations it does remind him that actually there is some value in me being part of their team freelance or not yeah definitely so step one was to create the report and deliver it face to face step two was to include three to five wins that you've helped the business to achieve step three is to sell forwards like what you're going to do next and step four is really simple You've just got to deliver on whatever it is that you've said. So that's why step three needs to be like realistic, you know, achievable. Because whatever you said in step three, next time you report, that's the bit that you're going to be pulling out and being like, right, last time we discussed we were going to do this. This is what we've done in order to try and achieve that. This is how far we've got. So that whole report is way more than just a piece of paper with some numbers on that makes you think Mm. that your boss hates you. It's like this whole singing and dancing retention strategy that can help you to keep clients for longer. And when they see your true value, it means that when you say, I'm going to put my fees up, they understand why. And they're far less resistant to it, aren't they? And they're happy to pay it because they don't want to lose you because you've proven that you're, you know, obviously everybody's replaceable. But for them, there's so much value in keeping you because you're so up to speed with their business and you understand their business. And I think once you kind of prove that you get it and you understand it, it makes it a lot harder to replace you because they're going to have to start from scratch with a whole new person who doesn't know the business at all. Yeah, absolutely. And they... It's not just they don't know the business. They don't know any of the things that you've been discussing over the months. There'll be so many missing parts, won't there? So it's all those conversations will only help you to keep clients. So don't shy away from this. And now you know that it's a thing. I wish I'd known that this was a thing all those years (laughs) back when I thought that that my boss hated me. I really hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) I'm sure she doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, so even from a person who is very number orientated and data driven I couldn't agree more in that we need to we need to always add that context we need to sell ourselves because no no one else is and as much as I love all the automated reports you can get from left right and center and put things in a pretty spreadsheet if you want and make a nice graph it's the stuff that you say about that data is what's so important and what will constantly be reminding your clients as to why you are good at what you do and why you charge what you do that's it for this week we hope you've enjoyed it we'd love to hear what you think of our podcast so please give us a five star review for wherever you're listening bye bye